Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Triple, and as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, it's Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're still in May. <laughs> still in May, and we're still asking mom, "Hey, mom, may I have another one of those bad black movies?" And tonight, mm, boy, according to some of you missionaries, we have one of your favorite bad black <laughs> movies. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fans of DC Cab. A lot of fans of DC Cab from 1983, starring the unstoppable Mr. T, the equally unstoppable Marsha Warfield, as well mm. as a very young Gary Busey and Bill Maher and <laughs> of Barney Miller fame, Max Gale. I would have never imagined that there was a feature film where Max <laughs> Gale <laughs> led the credits. Right, right, right. Your leading man. Um, but it, he here he is in DC cab, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Vince's selection for tonight's stop on Mother May I. How you doing, Vince? I'm I'm just fine. I am just fine, enjoying the weather and 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 moving moving through Mother May I. Oh yes, we are moving rapidly through Mother May I. It's been a fun fun trip, and as always, our listeners have been along the way with us. I see each and every one of you out there watching us streaming on YouTube as well as on Facebook. Bree Bree Five Seventeen actually says, "I must admit, DC Cab was one of my favorites as a kid, and I think it was due to Mr. T. My mom loved the Eighteen. Well, I mean, that is just a sentence I didn't think I would ever read." That really, yes, that a mother loved <laughs> the A team. I, I thought the A team, I always pictured like the A team was like 100% like a guy's show, you know, right? Right, right. The A team was like with George Papard and and um, you know, Mr. T, and they were riding around in vans and solving crimes and busting heads and stuff like that. You know, I never, I just don't see like you know, mom sitting down like my mom fairly certain never watched an episode of the A-Team. Well, you know, even moms love it when a plan comes together. So I can see that. <laughs> see what I did there? I see exactly what you did there. We got uh, emails, Vince. Okay. We got an email from our friend, Ariel Johnson of Amalgam. Hey, Ariel. She says, greetings, Vince and Len. Vince. Uh-oh. A message from a fellow Baltimorean. Okay. It was 1987, 1988, the year of cicadas cometh. I was mm. I was four or five, and I remember them completely covering the screen door of our house. My sister was a teenager, and she would push on the screen from inside, and they would fly off in the spot she touched and then immediately land back on the screen. That made an indelible mark on my psyche. Biblical indeed. Yeah, I was a little bit older than four in 1987. This is what I always say. There was a dude at my high school mm -hmm. who would eat cicadas for a dollar. What? If you gave him a dollar, he would eat a cicada. Are you serious? Lynn, I am embarrassed by how much money I spent on him. <laughs> Vincent, 
Benson. No, you didn't. Oh, I skipped lunch <laughs> some days so that he would not. So, and I want to say his name so badly, but I'm not going to say his name, but I would, I would take my money and give it to him. Look, I got $7. I need you to eat seven cicadas. And would he do it? Would he do it? Would he do it? Lynn, for weeks, for however long the cicadas were there. Are you serious, man? I am dead serious. You know, I think about him every time cicadas come up. Um, I just wanted to let you know, Vince, there is no statue of limitation on child <laughs> endangerment. So you may want to... Be- we were the same age. How am I endangering him? We're the same age. That's very true. All right, you get off on the technicality there. Because that... Wow. That and is- they're pure protein. They're the food of the future. <laughs> They are pure protein. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Because I, I, I've never eaten a cicada, but I did eat for um, one of my radio shows. I did eat some fried rice and um, ants before. And right, right. And they have like, like, like what? Like grasshopper flour or some type of, yeah. But, but I do. I remember our, the, the cicadas, the cicadas were crazy. And apparently they are now in Maryland. Like I said last week, all my Maryland people are talking about. I have a friend who has canceled a Juneteenth gathering because it's so crazy on his back porch. Because of the cicadas. Because of the cicadas. Wow. Okay. We got another email. Hey, and guess who this email is from, Vince? It's from Miss Makiba. Hey, Miss Makiba. And she says, hey, Lennon Vincent. Uh, (laughs) i was so happy to learn that you guys are almost as big a new edition fan as i am during your review of masterpiece masterpiece i got the hookup (laughs) we definitely need an episode of y'all sharing concert stories um have you considered reviewing the up in smoke documentary it would be a great excuse to talk concerts. Mid email tangent. Oh, she, she, <laughs> you can tell the fans of the show. Um, attached to this message, you will find my campaign to resume my briefly held position as Len's favorite missionary. I rummaged around the house and found my copy of 1992's Bobby on cassette. <laughs> that's fantastic (laughs) since I am fairly new to the mission I have been playing past episodes of the podcast while working love the show see you when it's time to meet again Makiba and she actually did she's got a picture she sent a picture of her holding up the Bobby Brown Bobby cassette and this was this was when cassettes, you know, got funky, so they were clear. Remember? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> they were they were the clear cassette. Oh yeah, that is dope. That is so dope. Thank you so much. And and Miss McKeeva, um, with all due respect to all the other missionaries out there, you have never relinquished your spot as my favorite missionary. 
So, oh, look at Lynn. Don't worry. You no. supposed to say you love all the missionaries equally. See, well played. This is why you're their favorite. I, I didn't even think to say that. No, 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 no. You know what it is. You got one kid. <laughs> That's true. That's what it is. <laughs> I got two kids. <laughs> hey, love everybody equally. You're going to split this right down the middle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's very right. That's very right. Uh, Sharon Eldridge sits us up and says, I still have my Paula Abdul forever. Your girl clear cassette. All right. Let's hear for clear cassettes. Look, I remember when I used to go downtown every payday and go down to third street jazz and (sighs) buy like about four cassettes every payday dog. It is so funny that you were talking about this. That is hilarious. Camille just asked me two days ago, I think, like I was, you know, regaling her with 90s hip hop stories as usual. And she said, did I know at the time that this was going to be what I thought was the golden age? And mm-hmm. I told her, I remember going to, there was a, there was a um record store in the stamp union at okay. the university of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I had my little job, had my little campusy job. But I remember going every Tuesday, or I forget what day tapes came out back in the 90s. And I remember like standing in front of the new cassettes for like 20 minutes trying to figure out what was I going to buy. Exactly. Cause you got because you gotta be judicious with your Cause, money. Because I didn't have any money. Right. That's right. But it was like every week, it was like three bangers came out it was like i just can't afford right to buy this you know what it was quest love just posted on um on instagram it's the 30th anniversary of de la soul is dead oh de la soul's second album and quest love was talking about how that year was crazy mm. with Every and he was like, you know, Cypress Hill came out and Public Enemy came out and and like and of course Lowen Theory. That's mm. the Lowen Theory year. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how crazy it was that year. And I remember that year. Like I remember, like, oh, I only have enough money for one cassette. And I don't know if this was the year it came out off the top of my head, but I remember. When the Far Side's first album came out, okay, okay, and remember the Far Side. Oh, here we go. We're music. We're we're in music. We're gonna get out the music pocket in a second, y'all. Remember the Far Side's first single was Your Mama, because mm-hmm. they were on the brand new Heavy's hip hop album, right? And right. then they released Your Mama, and I remember. I like your mama, but I was like, eh, it's all right. You know, it's all right. It was all right. Yeah, and like, I did like kind of like a catchy, like gimmicky type of song. It was catchy and it was gimmicky and I didn't buy it when it came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then however many weeks later when they released Passing Me By with just that early Dilla and I was like, yo, and I went back and the cassette, you know, they were gone because, you know, they would return the cassettes. And I remember driving all through Virginia mm-hmm. on like a Wednesday 
trying to hunt down a passing me by because I mean, uh, um, what is the name of there? It's like uh, something ride to the uh, the something ride to the far side, whatever the the far side album was, like their debut. I drove around all day through Virginia, going to record store to record store, trying to find the cassette mm-hmm. because I didn't get it the week it came out, and then it it was just not around. So, mm-hmm. so it's- yeah, I. I I remember the cassette days. I remember, and I don't know what what day or whatever, but my most memorable visit to Third Street Jazz, went there during the lunch break, and I went to go, you know, shop for some for some cassettes and I picked up like a couple of cassettes, like whatever. And I was heading to the to the counter and I saw the full album of Pete Rock and CL Smooth, their first mm. I dropped everything. Mm-hmm. Grabbed that one cassette and said, oh, now I'm going to go and treat myself. Went to, bought that, went to an outside cart, bought me a cheeseburger hoagie and some fries, sat down outside my job, and I listened to that cassette on repeat for the rest of the day fell in love with that joint oh my god and and i'm one of those people to this day i couldn't tell you a cl smooth lyric to save my life that man was on some other i don't know what he was saying half the time but it just sounded so funky over pete rock's horns oh my god it was beautiful one of my favorite hip-hop moments dog yeah oh yeah Oh yeah. So that was uh that was Mecca and the Soul Brother? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's 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 a good album. That's look, we look. <laughs> we gonna stop. Cause Mecca and the Soul Brother leads directly to my Donald Bird stuff. Right, right. Cause I Pete would... Rock introduced me to Donald Bird. So we gonna all right, we all right. Read the next letter. Read the next letter. We got one more letter. We got one more email. All right. And it's from Pumpkin Hudson. Hey, Pumpkin Hudson. I came across your podcast in the middle of the night. Let me set the scene. It's 2.24 a.m. and I'm driving down the highway listening to the Dells. All of a sudden, a heart is a house for love comes on and I'm instantly thrown back into the early 90s. Now I'm looking for songs by the five heartbeats on Pandora and your podcast pops up from 2017. Absolutely brilliant. Genius, might I add. When someone mentioned they were from Oakland, I knew I was home. I'm also from deep East Oakland. Anywho, I'm going to continue to support, show my support because I got nothing but love for y'all. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. Always nice when people stumble upon us. So, um, Vince, you know, before we get into our review of the movie for the week, I I thought it might be cool for us to touch on a couple of things that um, we actually have been watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This past week. I understand that we both checked out new selections from... Netflix. I watched the Jamie Foxx series, uh, Dad, You're Embarrassing Me. And okay, all right. 
you watch the Mike Epps series, The Upshaws. Yes, yes. I'm, I think, three episodes in. Excuse me. Let me get the title right. Is Dad Stop Embarrassing Me, the new Jamie Foxx series that is on Netflix. What do you want to know, Vince? What do you want to know? I, I, I think the question that everyone would want to know immediately is, do you like it? No, I don't. I don't okay. find it um, amusing. I find it very forced. I find it, consider, considering how the fans that we are here at the mission of Jamie Foxx uh, as an actor, I find it very forced. I don't find it original at all. Um, I didn't think I would ever come across a project where David Allen Greer was not funny in. Mm-hmm. But he decidedly not funny playing the old man role in mm-hmm. this uh, show. I find the story forced. I find the well, very hack the jokes hackneyed. The production looks cheap, and it really, it, I, I, you know, I was embarrassed for Jamie Fox watching it. Honestly, I really just do not enjoy it at all. So here's the question. What do you think went wrong? Honestly, what I think went wrong is two things. One, I think that Netflix, as well as almost any streaming service or any media corporation, right, are in this or in this middle of trying to create media that appeals to the masses in general. <laughs> I I see Adam. That is exactly how I sounded when I was watching. <laughs> um, I am not taking that sound out of this show. I'm just letting you know that it will be on the episode. It's documentation. Um, no, I think so. All these media companies are trying to, to appeal to the, the mass audience. So, yes, do they have their more highbrow, high prestige type of fare? Certainly. But then they just got their silly comedies, especially someplace like Netflix, because Netflix, unlike a lot of these other streaming places doesn't have classic shows from the eighties and nineties to, to throw out there. So they've got to create their shows that are in that vein. And they're also trying to cater to as much as they cater to an international audience on Netflix. They're also trying to cater to an African-American audience. So they're trying to give fair that they feel, you know, African-American audiences will gravitate to. And that's not a bad thing necessarily to do. I understand the calcu- the calculation behind that. And, you know, let's face it, there have been over 50, 60 years of dumb TV shows, right? Right, 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 right. So why can't we just have just as equally a dumb a show? Certainly. God bless. What went wrong with that is here is that they threw the money to Jamie Foxx, who was a producer on the show. And I think that Jamie Foxx just gave him probably like this first draft idea and threw it out there. I don't think any more thought went into the production than that, especially considering that someone like Jamie Foxx, they're not just throwing the money at and saying like, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to run it. But with at Jamie Foxx, they probably gave him at least conservatively two seasons that already booked and paid for. So this has all the earmarks of something that was just thrown out there. And it it really is a, a bit of a miss. Oh, that's really too bad. Well, hopefully 
You said you've watched three episodes. I probably, honestly, I probably now that I think about it, because they're only they're like a, a sitcom, so they're like a half an hour long. I think I watched maybe three or four episodes, so I gave it a I gave it a you know a shot. Right, right. Well, hopefully they hopefully they fall into a rhythm. You know, that's too bad. It seems like Jamie Foxx and David Allen Greer. I don't know who else is in the cast, but just those two. It seems like you can just you should be able to just set up a camera almost. I would think you would think so. Just to be fair, the rest of the cast is uh, Kyla Drew, uh, who plays Jamie Foxx's daughter in the in the show. Portia Coleman plays his sister. Heather Hamans plays his um, his assistant, and uh, Jonathan Kite plays Johnny, who I think is like his best friend. But also, you find out that he's dating his his sister on the low. They got a little inter- interracial thing happening there. So um, that is Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me on Netflix starring Jamie Foxx. Hey, go check it out for yourself if you want to, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, that was my. (laughs) That's a ringing endorsement. (laughs) Uh, Well, Miss Makiba says that uh, that David Allen Greer is hilarious on that Jamie Foxx show. Um, There you go. Well, there you go. There you go. And uh, and George Komodo's every I see the people in the chat they're they're bigging up uh, the Black Lady Sketch Show. Yes, that is funny. Yeah, which is a nice segue because there's a cast member in common with the Upshaws. Okay, okay, you take which, it away. With- which I think I am at this point three episodes in. I am more interested in the concept than the execution so far. Mm, mm. like this concept of this working class black family and this 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 lead character played by mike epps Mm -hmm. who's not pristine like he's made some mistakes they have four children uh kim fields plays his wife yes i've 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 seen i've seen And and it seems like they've been together since high school she got pregnant when they were in high school so they have an adult son you know mike epps is probably around 50 so they have mm-hmm. like a 35-year-old son, and their relationship between father and son is rocky. Okay. All you know, right. and, and it's played comedically, but there's something, like, there's something really going on under there. Okay. Where, right. where you know, the son at one point says, where were you when I was growing up? And Mike Epps says, I was growing up too. Right. So that's a dynamic you don't often see. And then furthermore, they have two other daughters including a middle daughter who's 13 and it's unclear from the first three episodes, but Mike Epps says they were separated. They being he and Kim Fields, Kim Fields says she just needs some space regardless of what happened. He got another woman pregnant at the same time. Mm-hmm. So now he has a 13 year old son too. Ooh, okay. With Gabrielle okay. Dennis. Okay. Okay. And it's, again, it's a dynamic you don't see that often. Wanda Sykes plays Kim Field's sister, so she's in the mix, too. Okay, all right, yeah. And I think and, Wanda Sykes is a producer on it as well. Right, Wanda Sykes, right. She's a creator and producer as well. And it's Rocky, the first mm. three, you know, I'm like, it's Kim Fields and we're Gen X dudes, so we're contractually bound to love Kim Fields. So it's just nice to see Kim Fields 
It's like, ooh, it's Kim Fields. <laughs> yep. Mike Epps, uh, I, I, my opinion has not changed that I like Mike Epps better as a serious actor. Right. Like, I don't really, you know, he's not really Jim. Gabrielle Dennis is bringing her Gabrielle Dennis. Like, like, she has more life than anyone else in the cast, frankly. And every time she comes on screen, like, she's playing a, a roughly hewn woman. Okay, okay. And she is playing it with full gusto. Gotcha. So, I've watched three episodes, much like uh, the Jamie Foxx show. It's a half hour. Mm-hmm. And the first three episodes have have garnered enough good from me that I think I'm going to watch the rest of them. Okay. All right, cool. And I think I'm pulling for it. You know, I think I'm pulling for it. There are some people on the periphery, some 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 actors you kind of see here and there mm-hmm. that I can't think of. You know, the kids are innocuous. Mm-hmm. But but it's 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 an interesting concept and and I'm pulling for it. Well, that's dope. That's dope. It's yeah. sa- I mean, I'm tell you right now, you make it sound a whole lot more interesting than Dad stop embarrassing me, and you make it sound more interesting than the clips that I've seen of the show. So- well, again, the execution in the first three episodes aren't really there. Hmm. But it there like there's enough of a like there's enough of a little something. So you want to see if, if I, I kind of want to see like like this this whole dynamic of these kids the same age and and you know it was 13 years ago, so right. apparently they've resolved it whatever they're going to resolve. But something like that doesn't really go away. That's true. That's true. Nor is that a story that is usually explored especially on a in a comedic way in a straight out comedic way right so, so that's so i'm i'm with that i'm with that it, it, it sounds interesting i have to check it out right to now there is one show yes this week that both of us have have tried out yes and that on amazon prime yes that would be uh barry jenkins the underground <sighs> railroad the Underground yes. Road from Academy Award winner Barry Jenkins, uh, based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Colson Whitehead, starring Thuso Mbeto and Aaron Pierre. Mm-hmm. It And while it does speak of slavery, it does yes. speak of the Underground Railroad, um, it is a alternate reality type of show in this, in where the underground railroad of slavery times is actually an right. underground railroad. Um, you've watched the first couple of episodes. I've only actually watched the first episode of this series. Mm. So you, you'll have more to, to say about it. I will say that this is a series that has a, a little bit of a bad luck against it that is coming out at this time where this this great conversation ongoing about black trauma being mm-hmm. used as a vehicle for entertainment so to have a show that centers around the under, the underground railroad that centers around slavery and is um unsparing in its depictions mm-hmm. of the time of what um, black people had to endure 
during slavery. It is it is unsparing. It is unflinching in its depiction of that. That's a huge hurdle for this show to to leap over. I think only the pedigree mm-hmm. of Barry Jenkins, um, and to to his credit, a lot of the thoughtful interviews that he did about the show beforehand and promoting the show lend an air of authenticity to and thoughtfulness to his story that at least for me got me to turn on that first episode right and and in doing so it's rough it does not pull punches but i could see what he was doing with it i could see what he was using those harsh um scenes to set up for the you know, quote unquote, uh, release at the end of that first episode. Um, that, that that there's a run to freedom that is just you know just brought tears to my eyes that happened at, at near the end of the first episode, and I found myself being on board, and not for nothing, Thuso Mbeto and Aaron Pryor are mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. In the show. They are absolutely mesmerized you cannot take your eyes off the two of them they they're the work that they are doing in moments where it's not even focused on them is stellar acting and it's a beautiful film it's 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 fucking gorgeous i just found myself just like it worked it worked for me well colson whitehead might be my favorite living author Mm. Like, I love Colson Whitehead, even though he really did try me with Underground Railroad. So much so that I haven't read, like, I didn't read the novel that came out last year mm-hmm. about the boys in the foster home because, be, because of these conversations. And I don't think you can overemphasize how tough that first episode is. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough episode. And and to your point, I think Barry Jenkins very thoughtfully talked about honoring our ancestors and, and what they had to deal with. So you had to depict it that way. And also, it shows you the stakes. Exactly. But I will say, if you can get through that first episode, as someone who's two episodes ahead and kind of knows the story, it is glorious. It is absolutely glorious you and i have talked about barry jenkins damn near since the beginning of this podcast Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and he like barry it is it is absolutely breathtaking how beautiful this series is and much like you uh thuso mbidu is 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 a revelation right she really is watching her evolve watching her character Cora just evolve as the series goes on I, I'm I'm again I'm three episodes in it's 10 episodes and you kind of like I said I don't know how much they'll change the story but you see her blossoming mm-hmm. and something else that I've really come to admire about Barry Jenkins personally I don't know if anyone depicts black women on film like Barry Jenkins Okay. Like black right. women are actually angelic. We talked about this with if Bill Street could talk. Mm-hmm. 
and to a certain extent, even um, medicine for melancholy. You, you know, the way he frames black women as as just sacred. And you see it in this in, in this series so that I, I don't, you know, I don't like this. I don't like no black suffering and, and all. But but this just it just overwhelms you with the quality of the product, frankly. So I'm a big, big fan so far. Uh, just going to the chat real quick. Miss Makiba says that if we're creating al alternative realities and the best we get is slavery with actual trains, to which Sharon Eldridge says, say that again, I have no desire to watch. However, Bree Bree 517 says, love the Barry Jenkins interview with Jamel Hill, so I think I will check it out. And Jeffrey Thomas says, I haven't seen the underground. Mm -hmm. book is brutal. Watching has to be hard. Um, and all of you are right. Yeah. Yeah. All of you are right. I don't, I don't, I don't fault anyone for, for giving this a pass. It's funny. I was talking to my wife. I don't know if Wendy's going to watch it. Oh, so she didn't watch it with you. She's no, she didn't it. watch it. Well, I knew, I knew the first episode was going to be crazy. Okay. Like I knew before they escaped, it was going to be crazy. And I didn't know how long they were going to stretch that part out, but, but it, it really is. It's, it it is it it is amazing. This is amazing work. And and to Miss McKeever's point about you know our alternative realities, this I'll say this. In some ways, the idea, and and mind you, I'm only going off of the first episode. Mm -hmm. but in some ways, the ideas of them making the Underground Railroad a literal railroad, to me is um akin to the way that uh projects like the watchman sequel or lovecraft country took aspects of real events and then used them as a lens through which to explore those events but also still sh tell a fictional tale so while i i think that if you go into this project looking at it from that viewpoint i didn't actually have a problem with there being an underground railroad actually to me it spoke to me a little bit of the kid in me of when the first time I heard about the Underground Railroad. Of course. And not capturing the nuance about what it actually was. I'm thinking that, oh, my God, there's this Underground Railroad that's saving all the people, you know? So I I was like, yo, I am all aboard for something like that. So, um, I, I and like you, Vince, I'm not knocking anybody who wants to give it a pass. I don't know. Having watched that first episode, I just knew that okay, I can't binge this. So maybe I'll have you can't to, you binge know. it. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. So this might be I watch maybe once, uh, once or twice a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it 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 was still it was still interesting enough that I was all in. I like I said, I think the shame of it is is that you have something that 
a lot of people, because I'm certainly not going to say ever, it can't speak for everyone, but you have something that a lot of people deem as gratuitous, like them coming out in between yeah. something like Watchmen, Lovecraft Country, and now the Underground Railroad. Yeah, yeah, I think them has left a real bad taste mm-hmm. in people's mouth. And I and for the record, I still haven't seen it. So I don't well, I- know. And, 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 you know, quite honestly, I remember this conversation around the novel where, 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 where people sold the novel, like it was basically Gulliver's travels Mm -hmm. and you thought it was going to be more fantastical. And what I've been saying since the novel came out is I was told it was going to be magic realism and it's not Mm -hmm. enough magic and it's too much realism. And, oh, and that was the other thing I was going to say about, you know, how the book is brutal. The book can be one thing, but then the adaptation can be something totally different, even if it still tries to honor its source material. Sure. I'm thinking about when we, when we watched Z for Zachariah, which if you read the breakdown of the book, is nothing like what the, it, it, uh, like what the movie is. It's, it's certainly nowhere near as meditative as the movie is. I think the same thing is true about um oh it just it, i it just left me the, there were liberties that were taken with lovecraft country as well um so I mean, they do it all the time clockers if you just want to stick with stuff we've talked about clockers mm-hmm. is different than a richard price novel the color purple is different than the novel right so right. you know they do it all the time so don't let that this way oh i know where i was going to go if anybody said you know just to step away from black fiction for for a minute has anybody has ever read the book The Godfather and yeah. then seen the movie? Yeah. And nothing. Nothing alike. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So don't let that, you know, scare you away from it. Uh, what I'm hoping, so now my dream is I kind of want this to do well, and he just adapts all of Colson Whitehead's stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it is. So now we got to go. We got. Now we got to go from Pulitzer Prize winning books and Oscar win Oscar award winning director. Now I got to go to DC Cab with the Barbarian yes. Brothers. The Barbarian Brothers. You get it all here on the Michelle Mission. You get it all. Remember on different. Remember on um, Dukes of Hazard and the very beginning where Merle Haggard would, would talk about the, the people. It's the, the people. And, well, that was Merle Haggard who played the narrator on Dukes of Hazard, right? And he would talk about we're going today. The Dukes are really into some trouble. Daisy has a date. <laughs> There's a hoot nanny and a performance from Loretta Lynn. What more could you want? And the way Merle Haggard sold it, I remember watching Duke's house. Wow, this they really are giving me a lot. <laughs> Thank you, Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> we're like the Dukes of Hazard. So we're good old boys. Right, we, we, need, we need Merle Haggard to sell it. Oh, it, it, Jeffrey Thomas. It, it was Waylon Jennings. It was not Merle Haggard. It was Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Yes. Waylon I Jennings. mixed up my outlaw country dudes oh the michelle mission boys they they're gonna talk about hip-hop <laughs> and upshaws pulitzer prize winning novels 
and Adam Baldwin and Gary Busey in the other movie they were in together besides Predator 2. What more could you want? Tonight on the Michelle Mission. <laughs> yeah! We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. DC Cab. They've got plans. Where to, baby? Nowhere with you. And they care. You charge Mr. and Mrs. Tumatu $195. They had a lot of luggage. Kill. We were coming to town, and we know it. Get out of my cab, I'm rich. You don't have to shut us this down. This company is closed, pending further investigation. Make an investment in DC Cab. If I wanted responsibility, I'd have been a damn sex surrogate. Fasten your seatbelt. Because they're back on the street. DC Cab. DC Cab, a 1983 American comedy directed and written Mm. by Joel Schumacher, starring Max Gale, Adam Baldwin, Mr. T. Mr. T. Charlie Barnett, Gary Busey, Marshall Warfield, Bill Maher, and Whitman Mayo. Naive and good-natured young man Albert Hockenberry arrives in Washington, (laughs) D.C. with plans to work for his late father's army buddy, Harold, owner of the rundown District of Columbia Cab Company, a.k.a. D.C. Cab. And hilarity ensues in Vince's selection for Mother. May I have another one of those bad black movies? Vincent, what you got to say about DC Cab? Well, anyone who has seen DC Cab, I think, knows I was really sort of juking the stats as they would say on the wire, if we're talking about bad black movies. I, first and foremost, don't know if I would call DC Cab bad as much as I would call it just sort of harmless fluff. This is a type of movie they churned out all throughout the late 70s and and early to mid 80s where there's barely a plot. There's barely a plot. It's all just an excuse to take a cast of characters and throw them together and see what happens. And as far as cast of characters go, this is a, a, a cast that is is one that that is surprisingly famous. Like you said, Bill Maher's <laughs> in here. Paul Rodriguez is in here. Uh, I'm, you know, I've always been a fan of Adam Baldwin. This is an early Adam Baldwin flick. You, you know, you mentioned um, Max Gale, who's who's on Barney Miller. I, I have to say, Gary Busey is full Gary Busey in this film. And he probably entertained me more than was warranted by the material. Mm-hmm. But Gary Busey... Like, I don't know if he was coked out throughout this film, but I don't know. 
if he was coked out. Like, he's out of control the whole movie. And it's kind of funny. And like I said, whether you're talking about Police Academy or or closer to what we talk about, Car Wash, or like, like, like my beloved Cannonball Run, there were mm-hmm. always movies like this where you kind of throw people together. So, you know, there's that. Is it a black movie? <laughs> no. No, although I have to say there are more black talking points in this film than I remembered. Always loved seeing Whitman Mayo. Like I just love Sanford and Son alumni. So it was nice to just see Whitman Mayo. You mentioned her before, big fan of Marsha yes. Warfield. So anytime Marsha Warfield shows up, and I like young Marsha Warfield. There's not a lot of Marsha Warfield before Night mm-hmm. Court. So it was nice to see her. Charles Barnett, quietly, if I were really trying to sell this movie as a Michelle Mission movie, I would have used Charles Barnett because he's in this film a surprising amount. Like, I forgot how much he is is one of the real plot drivers. And Charles Barnett is, is a bit of a legend among comedy nerds. Like a, a legend and and a cautionary tale. He was he was this huge comedian who had made this big splash. He used to perform famously at Washington Square mm-hmm. at um NYU. I'm I think I may have seen him when I was a kid. Like I feel like my family went to New York and I remember there being a black guy during street performance mm-hmm. and mesmerized the crowd. And he famously just flamed out like he had demons. He, you know, he had famously was was battled drug addiction yeah. his whole life, died untimely from um, AIDS because of um, he contracted through drugs. The Charles Barnett story that probably is is most famous is he was going to be on Saturday Night Live. Like he was the dude and, and, and he again had made this huge splash, came, auditioned for Saturday Night Live, murdered the audition like they wanted him, called him back for another, I guess, performance. And I don't know if he never, I've heard different things over the years. He never showed up. He um, had trouble reading. Again, he was always battling his drug addiction, but he didn't show up. So they went with their second choice, which was some kid named Eddie Murphy. And the rest was mm-hmm. history. So Charles Barnett is in here and you and you see it in here. Like, like Charles Barnett has this, like I'm talking about Gary Busey, but there's a real mania with Charles mm-hmm. Barnett that I think peeks through in this film. Always think about um, like the first season or so of Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Where I used to I used to like to watch Pam Dauber because Robin Williams famously was also struggling with drug addiction and he was a madman. Yeah, yeah. And you could see on Pam Dauber's face a lot of times, she didn't know what was about mm-hmm. to happen on this show. And you can see on Adam Baldwin's face in a couple of scenes in this film where he's like a deer in headlights. Like, I don't know what this dude is about to do. And that was Charles Barnett. But the reason we are here, of course, is Mr. T.
the star of this movie. As we mentioned, if you look at any of the publicity, the trailers, the commercials, the posters, this was sold as a Mr. T film because Mr. T had become this huge phenomenon. Obviously, he was cover lying in Rocky Three. He went on to star in the A-Team. We've been sort of joking about it this whole show. He had a cartoon for three seasons. He had a serial. He had, ac- I have a Mr. T action figure over in my case right now. I'm looking at it. Like, Mr. T was a thing. Was. But what's kind of fascinating is that Mr. T was only in two movies. He was in Rocky 2, I mean, Rocky 3 as Clubber mm-hmm. Lang. And then he was in this. And I think this film really shows the limitations of Mr. T. And you understand why he couldn't do more. Because this character is just absurd. Like, Mr. T was just always absurd. And there was nothing you could really do with Mr. T. But, like, like, what are you going to do with Mr. T? Like, Mr. T is a surgeon, you know. Hey, fool, I got to get my hands ready. It's the operating theater open. Mr. T is an electrician. Hey, fool, go ahead and turn the lights off so I can work on this light switch. Mr. T teaches sixth grade math. Hey, fool, what's the Pythagorean theorem? Write it down now. That's sixth grade math? I mean, yeah. Oh. I flunked again. But I thought, I think he is sort of indicative of this moment where you had these black characters. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about um, Gary Coleman during trailer part, trailer uh, talk. And Gary Coleman was another one like this. I actually wanted to do a Gary Coleman film, but he's another one that I think only had one feature film. Did he have a feature? Yeah, it was somebody. I think it's the one. It's like the kid who who he was. It's the one where he was winning all the the bets. Like he was calling the horses. Oh, I th- I think I remember that. Okay, all right. But the rest of his films were TV. Right. Yeah, films. I know he had a lot of TV films. Because you can't do anything with these people. Like they've turned. There are these char- There are these caricatures. There are these sort of living cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. And you can only do so much with them. And it's this really interesting moment to Mm -hmm. me where you have a series of them, whether you're talking about Mr. T, whether you're talking about, you you know, Gary Coleman as, um, how did I just forget Gary Coleman's name on different strokes? Oh, he was um, Arnold. Arnold. And this film is a perfect example because in a film where everyone is very slightly drawn Mr. T is perhaps the thinnest character, but he's also the one they want to try and stick plot points on, and they just aren't there. And it's, you know, is, is, it, a, is it a terrible movie? I, I, you know, like I said, it's harmless. I enjoyed Gary Busey. Okay. The Barbarian Brothers were a thing. Mm. They were twin weightlifters. Mm. Irene cares in it for like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. You kind of think she's going to play more of a plot point, but she doesn't really. So, you know, it's DC Cab. Yeah. Um, well, here we go. <laughs> DC Cab. 
I I took notes. Where's my? <laughs> Your DC cab I notes. DC cab notes. It is so much not plotted that the film actually stops after an hour and they start a half hour of a brand new story and it becomes a political I thriller. Know, I know. They realize like, yo, the film's still rolling. Like, wait a minute. We've reached the end. Like we've, we've set up a whole bunch of stuff and we've reached the end of it. Oh, now we've got to do something. It's so stupid. So anyway, um, 1983, 1983, ladies and gentlemen, you have to remember that not only were we awash in Mr. T, but we were still very much awash in the world of Star Wars. Star Wars was as mm. big of a thing as it is now. Star Wars was a huge thing. So much so that films, no matter what the film was about, tried to find a way to evoke that same feeling <laughs> that Star Wars gave <laughs> every one of us in their films. And that also pertains to DC Cab, which, much like Star Wars, opens with this incredible shot of this huge ship just enveloping the entire screen as it chases this small little ship. DC Cab begins under the carriage of the DC cab <laughs> as it makes its way through the streets of Washington, D.C. I'm like, <laughs> are we really getting an homage to Star Wars in D.C.? <laughs> Dare they try to say, yes, this too is a story from not so <laughs> Far, far in a distant, far, far away galaxy. Okay, so all right, <laughs> show me what you're working with. <laughs> Cut to a scene where Adam Baldwin and your Charles Barnett, who maybe is going off camera, sharing a line or two with Gary Busey. We don't know. We can only suspect because famously, both of these gentlemen at the time, if their stories are to be believed, were battling demons of drug abuse. So it is perhaps not too far a stretch to think that they were doing this. Nonetheless, there is a scene where Adam Baldwin and Charles Barnett are playing basically dare with a train on a train track <laughs> with their DC cab, which, wait for it, gets stuck on the tracks as the train is barreling down towards them. And Charles Barnett evokes the spirit of. 1920s, 1930s. Oh, no. <laughs> Black comedies. As his eyes 
extend from his head in the wake of the train barreling down towards them. TC Cap, are you giving me an homage to old Hollywood? <laughs> are you showing me, are you trying to show that that Charles Barnett's character, Tyrone, has been taken over by the spirit of old Hollywood in this moment? Okay, DC Cab, maybe there's something here. Mm. Cut to another scene with Charles Barnett and the aforementioned Adam Baldwin pulling up to a stop a corner in their cab where a man in a ski mask who was already robbed Marshall Warfield, not once, not twice, but three times on camera, jumps into their car with a gun and proceeds to try to rob them, holding a gun at them. It is at this point, and maybe I'm confusing it with the point that was before the train. I don't know. It's all a blur. But it is at this point that Charles Barnett, staring down the barrel of a gun, screams, I don't want to go to nigger heaven. Yes. Yes. That is when he says it. And at that point, I (laughs) realized fully what DC Cab was working with. And it was not with homages to old Hollywood, (laughs) black Hollywood. It was not, it was not trying to evoke the spirit of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Homage and evoke, those are real fancy words you're using. No, yes. DC Cab was just a dumb movie. And at that point, my head, which was resting on the other side of the couch, looked at me and said, I told you so. And I mm. back and just watched the rest of this dumb film. Until the moment where you realize that in order for them to find some kidnapped children and a kidnapped Adam Baldwin, you don't need to know why. They have to find a Bruce Lee movie. And they drive in where Charles Barnett again at the scene of the crime announces that it's a Bruce Lee movie cut to a huge movie screen because it's a drive in theater where there apparently is a 3D movie on because the people that are seen in the cars have 3D glasses on and it appears to be a Bruce Lee movie. But if you squint a little bit, you will realize it is not, in fact, a Bruce Lee movie. It is a Bruce Lie movie. We have gone on too many tangents. You're not going to pull me in to all the fake Bruce Lee movies that came out. (laughs) You're trolling me. Because you know I love those movies. You know I love all those movies. (laughs) So, I said to myself, 
<laughs> DC Cab, are you telling me, <laughs> Len? We knew we were lying to you all the time. <laughs> this is just what it is. I said, you silly little cab, you. Maybe that was maybe that was subtle character, a, a subtle character detail that Adam Baldwin's character, remember, was from the deep south and had moved to the big city. So maybe he wasn't sophisticated enough. To see- to understand that that wasn't actually a Bruce Lee movie. It was actually a Bruce Lai movie. It was a Bruce Lai movie. Mm. And you're showing you're showing your urban privilege right now. I like my read of it better. I like my- <laughs> you know, the subtle stuff. Also, they couldn't get the rights. They couldn't get the rights to an actual Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> so they got some shock schlock 3D kung fu Bruce Lai thing. Um <laughs> Return of the real dragon. <laughs> Remember, and it would say Bruce, and and Bruce would be real big, and then it say lie, and lie would be real little, little. real, real little. Sometimes Bruce would be above the credits, and lie would be real little, bottom right. of the credits. <laughs> That's right. Ghost of the dragon. Remember, it was all the dragon all movies. It was all of them. Resurrection of the dragon. That's right. Remember, remember, exit the dragon, enter the tiger. Uh yes. Because yes. how many how many of those movies st- started with the now stock footage of the Bruce Lee funeral that was yes. one of these freaking movies? And it was Bruce Lee L I. It was Bruce. It was Bruce like Lee. There was an L E Y. Mm, I don't remember that one. There was Bruce. Remember it was like Bruce Yee. I remember that. I remember Bruce. Remember like Bruce Yee. Yeah, it was a. <laughs> Go ahead. Again, you're not gonna pull me in. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, yeah. So this was just really just a, a mess of a film. <laughs> like I said, you already know what you what you're hitting for, ladies and gentlemen. When the fourth build of Barney Miller is the lead actor in your, <laughs> you know that this is not Hollywood pedigree that we are dealing with here. There's no knock on Marshall Warfield and Bill Maher being in this film. Two, the two of them are two hungry comedians at this time, so they are just mm-hmm. like, "Hey, we got a got an opportunity to get our SAG cards. We're going to do this film." Paul Rodriguez too. I'd, I'd lump him in True. with them. Now, Paul Rodriguez probably was the bigger name of the three at the time. Interesting. And, uh, but he's you know he's he's doing his thing, and and. and to to with all due respect, Marshall Warfield and Bill Maher were ten times the comedian that P- Paul Rodriguez ever was. So, so yes. Paul Rodriguez was definitely someone who 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 just like uh, was nothing but tropes and stereotypes in in his com- comedy, um, and he's filled with them in this in this film. So you you can't knock them. Uh, you're right. This is a young Marshall Warfield, probably doing the most serious work in the film. Um, asked to actually show some kind of type of range in the film a little bit, and you know, God bless her, she's doing whatever. You know, she's doing she's doing cool. Bill Maher, I don't believe him as a DJ, but who cares? Uh, he's, he's he's doing whatever. And and Irene Cara, who was a little bit of a name at this time, and actually has songs in the uh in, on the soundtrack, but she's Irene Cara. Like, unfortunately, she never got. She probably got as big as she probably was going to get to me. No, no, no. It was she's like she was like George Michael. 
she got into a fight with her um record company. Oh, did and they basically yeah they kneecapped her career. Mm. Mm. So it's like George Michael, Special Ed, and Irene Cara. They all got they got into beef with their record companies, and then their record companies basically destroyed their careers. Well, it, it, you know, I, I know you don't like to do this events, but you have to put genuine in there as well because his record his record company jerked him over as well and it sabotaged. Is that what happened with him? Yes, he got into it. Um, maybe he signed a bad deal, but it it it, it kind of messed him up, and it, it took him off the shelf for more than a few years. Yes, I did not know that. I did not know that was. I mean, it does seem weird that he didn't follow up that massive hit "Pony" with something else. He had a couple. Of, he had a few hits. He had a few hits <laughs> yes. after "Pony," but leave genuine alone. All right, I, <laughs> he's still cashing quiet storm checks, so leave him alone. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But like you said, we are here for Mr. T. That's what we're here for. And you're right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, here's the, here's the the problem with the Mr. T in this film. One, <laughs> Mr. T himself just as the way that he promoted himself because while he was in two films, he this is the guy who was a bouncer, ladies and gentlemen. He wasn't like the guy who was trying to be an actor and he wasn't even like this artist. He was just the guy who had a very unique look, was a bouncer bodyguard, got a break, and then he tried to turn that into something. And he got his break um, via Rocky, but then also via wrestling where um, he kind of like locked on to Hulk Hogan at the time and because of that he had to pretty much I'm not saying he didn't necessarily live by this because I don't know how the man lived but he he had to sell the the story of Hulk Hogan at that time which was you know say your prayers be good to kid you know be good kids you know drink your milk listen to your mama and your daddy exactly do your homework exactly so like this big super human size figure but had to be like this super guy right like do no wrong where it, 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 it like hulk hogan in the world of wrestling in the wrestling ring mr t be himself became this character and whether or not anyone was willing to do it like you said, 1983 is at the height of Tinas. Everything is Mr. T. So there's, but so far, you're going to be able to push him, especially in something like DC Cab, where Joel Schumacher, who is a name now, wasn't a name then. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very low low rent thing. They are happy just to get Mr. T. They're happy to just to have him on on as a part of their project. So whatever we want to do, Mr. T, you want to do. You could do it. So they're not going to try and stretch his characterization at all. Because Quiet is kept in the story of how he has a niece who um, is like, it's the car. It's bedazzled by this, you know, this pimp drug dealer. Quasi pimp drug dealer who rolls, rides around in in a Rolls Royce with two white 
accountants. I don't know if they were bodyguards. They look like accountants, like with him, that everybody seems to stand around his car. They're not talking to him. They just seem to stand around the car. Like, I was trying to figure out when did he deal drugs? Because he's not doing anything. He's just right. He, 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 it's like your work ethic as a drug dealer is really not where it should be. He's not. You better hope Marlo don't want this corner. He doesn't have a line in the movie, which is actually kind of weird because on the surface, um, and this is like, you know, little hidden racism. On the surface, he really is just a well-dressed black man in a nice <laughs> car with two white guys carrying his briefcase. He should be, he technically should be what we aspire to. We don't see him dealing drugs. It's only because Mr. T, who is running around in cut-off shirts, mad, <laughs> mad jewelry, and a mohawk, he tells us this guy is a pimp and a drug dealer. So we're meant feather earrings. And feathered earrings, we're meant to believe that this guy is a pimp and drug dealer. He's not, we don't see him doing drugs. We don't see him selling drugs. We don't see him with loose women at all. You know, we don't see that at all. You, you said loose women like an old grandfather. <laughs> all right. Well, you don't see him with like any like prostitutes or anything like that. He says, He's not with prostitutes. He's not like, you know, a bitch better have my money or anything like that. He's just a dude who's looks nice in a suit. So you know what? You just made DC Cab infinitely more interesting. Cause now I'm thinking, is Mr. T hallucinating the whole time? Maybe. Maybe. So so Mr. T doesn't aspire <laughs> for a suit. He doesn't aspire to be well to do. He just aspires to is his car. Mm. Ooh, Jolene, you got to sit. Why is his niece named Jolene? I, Jolene, I don't, I don't ever want to see you in that car again. I don't know. I, I don't know why. I guess her mother's from Alabama. I don't know why. <laughs> hey, easy. My mother's from Alabama. <laughs> and your name is Vincent. So there so I, I don't I, I, I don't know. So so that's the problem. So you can't do anything with Mr. T, that character. There's things to mind there. They're, they're actually, if you really, honestly, if you paid attention to what you were <laughs> setting up, there's places you could go with the Mr. T character just in that world that they built up, but they don't care one because they're just happy that they got Mr. T and two, <laughs> the whole movie is about Adam Baldwin, who's the the person up top, him and Max Gale. The whole story is about is about them and about their relationship, what little they do with it, um, and about Adam Baldwin. Eventually, as you know, what's going to happen, even though they don't say it until the last hour of the movie, he is going to be the one that turns everything around. Um, when he reaches into his boot and pulls out this magic $6,000 that has just been sitting there in his boot the whole movie that has never been mentioned, right? But there's some real subtle stuff in here. Did you pick up when Harold, the Max Gale character, who whose wife leaves him when they luck up into this Stradivarius that pockets them a whole ton of money, she breaks up with him. Did you hear how Harold, Max Gale's character, just on the sly, later on says, well, quietly, I always had something going on with the black receptionist here anyway, 
So it actually is all kind of good. I did hear him say that. And then they never followed up on it. Never follow up on it. You never, I always just knew that that black receptionist was just too good looking to be just the black she's a, she's a very uh, uh, appealing woman and no shade on not knowing the, the actress's name she doesn't do anything in the movie yeah but uh so so there's there's subtle things here in dc cab in dc cab right 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 and the other problem with the mr t character real quick is because <laughs> i have a funny feeling that they signed the contract for mr t after they signed the contract for the barbarian brothers because now Mr. T <laughs> like the really super strong person in this film because that's what the whole idea of the Barbarian Brothers are. So now Mr. T can't even have that lane for himself. So Mr. T just has to be just Mr. T. Although I would have watched more of Mr. T and the Barbarian Brothers breaking into the wrong houses true oh i thought you were going to say you would have watched more of the barbarian brothers uh doing strip tease dances on top of uh cabs in on in the streets of washington dc that was a strange moment that was a very strange moment it was a very that was a strange moment it was a rhythmless nation um and surprisingly <laughs> mr t wasn't there for that scene no he was mr. but he didn't dance m- mr t don't strip mr t don't dance no he does not no he does not so yeah, um, this was just uh, this was this you know you uh, so far <laughs> so far in May we have watched what did we start off? We started with Joanna Man, Joanna Man, which was a waste of an opportunity for Miguel Nunez. Yes, and then we watched. I got the hookup. I got to hook up which was a waste of film by Master P, though I see, mm-hmm. you know, he's just trying to make his mark in movies. And now we've, sure. now we've watched DC Cab, mm-hmm. which was a waste of time. Yeah. See, Man, maybe it wasn't a waste. I can't, I can't go that far because as you've just said, there's th- it's nothing other than what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that there was this pocket in the early 80s, and, and we were fortunate to, to be in the demographic where they 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 really churned out these movies for like 12 and 13 year olds. Yeah. And I think if you're 12, you know, it's 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 on your 12. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's not a waste of time. And Sharon Eldred says, I got to disagree, Len. I've seen so much worse and so much dumber. And you're absolutely right. It's not the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It's not the worst movie that I've ever seen. No, no. As long as rapping exists. (laughs) That's your one. That's it. That's it. That's your one right there. That's it. That's it. So yes, there, 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 there is worse and dumber, and I've seen it. Um, so no, this was not a waste of time. And 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 admittedly, no, I, I'll I'll take that. I'll strike that. It was not a waste of time. It just it it just is what it is. And um, there you go. Would you recommend people watch DC Cab, Vincent? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I would not recommend this film at all. Although, again. 
there's not a lot of Charles Barnett on film. And 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 the, the, the Charles Barnett that I always go to is this. And remember, he was on Miami Vice mm-hmm. for for, you know, but but he, he flamed out with that. I know. There's footage of him performing. And then there's this. And then, like I said, he was on those episodes of Miami Vice that year. And I've always I've always been interested in Charles Barnett. Mm. But no, yeah, it's, it's, it's no reason to recommend DC Cat. George Carmona wants to know, Vince, do you pity the fools that do watch? I do pity the fool. I pity the fool that watch DC Cat. You could be watching Rocket 3. Rocket 3, Lynn, I think you make a good point about how they sanded off his edges <laughs> to make it more palatable for the children's. Because in Rocket 3, he said some things to Adrian that was really out of pocket. Remember, he said, hey, girl, don't you come over here and show you what a real man can do? I was like, whoa! <laughs> Clubber Lang? That is highly inappropriate! See, but you know what? But that, that was the whole Mr. T thing. He was such a villain in Rocky Three that everything else had to be a pullback. Him with, with um, Hulk Hogan, him and DC Cab. Everything had to be a pullback because he didn't want to... But see... He was making good points in Rocky Three all and up until he got all sexual assaulty. Hey, fool, why don't you give me a chance? I'm hungry like you were. Yeah, well, I need a shot. I deserve a shot. <laughs> and then remember, Paulie told him, Paulie said, you don't get a shot. You don't get it. Because Paulie always seemed like he had had just too much to drink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was. <laughs> you don't get a shot. There's no shot for you. And hey, you, you give me a give me a shot. And then, but 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 he made good points, like Paul, not Paulie. Um, it was um 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 Mick, because Paulie's his brother-in-law, Mickey. Yeah. Mickey was trying to protect him. Right. Right. He's an animal, Rock. Right. 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 Which you shouldn't have been calling a black man that, but you saw his point. Yes. yes. Like Clubber Lang beat his ass. Well, Rocky couldn't fight. <laughs> I mean, and then Apollo taught him basically how to be a black man, right? Remember, because Apollo taught him how to de- like quietly. I'm making a case for Rocky Three <laughs> on the Michelle mission. The racial politics of Rocky Three are fascinating because remember, Apollo told him you don't move your feet enough, and then he did the little shuffle, and then they were running on the beach because Rocky was slow as white men are. <laughs> But then Apollo taught him how to be black and then he could run. And then he ran faster than Apollo Creed. Then they had no more need for Apollo Creed. So they went and found an uber white man and killed Apollo Creed in Rocky Four. <laughs> well, someone had to die pretty much in every <laughs> after like Rocky Three, everyone someone died in like every episode. He like brought over some OJ's albums and taught um and taught Rocky how to make macaroni and cheese and then they ain't need them no more. All right. All right. I can't believe our review of DC Cap is two hours long. It is time <laughs> this makes absolutely no sense <laughs> this is when Jeff at Podglomerate this is when, when he's looking at guys it was DC Cab and your show is an hour and 47 minutes the Moonlight episode was one hour and 10 minutes 
Grammy Award winning movie. <laughs> With an hour and 10 minutes. DC Cab. <laughs> I blame you. <laughs> Me. I blame you. Would you recommend DC Cab? Hell no. No. <laughs> no. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. You're Charles Burnett. No. 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 If you want to have a good feeling about him, don't watch this movie. No. Because I, I don't think he's funny in the film. So, no. Look, again, I think the key is to watch Adam Baldwin. No. No. Adam Baldwin. And this is... Oh, due respect, this is young Adam Baldwin. He's he don't know what he's doing either. So no, no, no. I mean, watch Adam Baldwin in the scenes with Charles Barnett. No, no, I, no. That's not going to get you thrilled. No, no. All right, don't watch this. Then watch the other film with Adam Baldwin and Gary Busey, Predator Two. No, no. If you want to watch Adam Baldwin? Just watch him on. Uh, I think he was on Firefly, and I think he was in Serenity. Watch that. Don't, don't, don't watch this. Don't. And uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, and Full Metal Jacket. There you go. Which, metal jacket? which he was so funny when he had the Vietnam helmet on. Right, right. I was like, oh, look at him. All right. Doing Vietnam stuff. There you go. All right. All right. No, no so. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, we might as well just tell you. Uh, next week here on the Michelle Mission on May 25th, Vince and I will be reviewing our final film. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Mother, may I have another? And that will be Medea Goes to Jail. But for any of you who have not seen that film, you have an opportunity to watch that film this Friday. This Friday, ladies and gentlemen, you can sit down with Vince and I for Medea Goes to Jail Watch Party, brought to you by Steeker.com, Friday, May 21st at 7 p.m. The link is up on all of our social medias, so you can go and, and find it, tune in, and watch with us. And for all of our fans that are out there, overseas we specifically chose scener.com because you can be overseas and still join us to watch it so I'm nice thinking of you when we reached out to see how to present this film for you so sit down and watch Medea goes to jail with vince and I, I don't know about Vince, but I'm going to be here with my pretzel bites. I'm actually going to have a couple of my friends here. They're going to be watching it with me as well. Do you have any special refreshments or anything special for your side? Oh, I'm going to be drinking. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to be drinking. I'm, I'm going to be drinking. I'm definitely going to be drinking. Vince, did I, tell drinking. You, did I tell you about my new favorite drink? You did not. Because you always clown on me. You clown me for my alcoholic choices. It's do you drink like a 20-year-old white sorority girl? I drink, I I had some um some honey jack whiskey. See, see, here we go. What's wrong with that? I thought you would like here we go. whiskey. Here we go. I thought you would like here that. we go. And it was some coke. So the honey didn't make it sweet enough. <laughs> it wasn't actually, it wasn't my drink. My my boy was drinking it, and it, it I said, oh, that looks like an interesting drink. Bring me that. Bring me one too. 
and I drank it, and it was it was it was good. I liked it. It was good. That's not a good drink either, Vince. I thought you would like it. Does it? It's a, does it come with an umbrella, or do you have to add your own? No, it does not come with an umbrella. It's not an umbrella. It comes in like a little small glass with some ice. That's all. It's good. I thought you. I thought you would like that drink. I am glad you enjoy it. It's whiskey. I'm drinking whiskey. It, yes, yes, it is. With some honey and some Coke. Well, what am I supposed to drink? Look, man, you drink what makes you happy. I like Crown Royal Apple. Is that not good either? Oh, I shouldn't drink that either. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. I had some, um, I had, I told you what we drank. I had some Uncle, um, what is it? Some Uncle, Uncle Nearest. I had Uncle Nearest. I love Uncle Nearest. That was good. You, you didn't put like some marshmallows in it? <laughs> No, we were drinking it straight. We were drinking it straight. That was good. That was- How do you go from that to honey whiskey with Coke? Well, the honey whiskey with Coke, I was out. So we were watching a draft. So it was, we were just having drinks. So I had that. And the uncle nearest, um, Daryl, Daryl Charles, the comedian Daryl Charles. Yes. Brought it for the um, the Guinness show. And he, he and, and we shared it. And I was like, oh, this is this is banging. So now I have a bottle of uncle nearest here on my, on my shelf. That's probably what I'll be drinking, but I'll just have it mixed with a glass well that's all i had it with with, with a glass i didn't mix anything with the uncle nearest i just drank it straight so is that right. fine is that fine yes but you drink what makes you happy <laughs> shut up vince um sharon eldridge wants to know can you can oh, recommend a good place to find pretzel bites <laughs> i don't know about Sick. dc I can't say about DC. I don't know. Here in Philadelphia, we have this fantastic establishment of franchises called the Philadelphia Soft Pretzel Factory. And they actually, along with making soft pretzels, make buckets of pretzel bites. So that's what I'm going to be getting for uh, my viewing pleasure when we watch Medea Goes. I can't recommend any place in the DC area that. Um, has good pretzel bites, but I'll look, I'll look and find, and if I can find one, I will put it in the uh, Facebook group just for, just for all of you. So that you, cause they all want to be enjoying pretzel bites with apparently. So you can have that with your, what, what are you, what are you having a fuzzy navel, fuzzy <laughs> navel or like a chocolate almond crunch daiquiri? Is that, is, is that what you're having? I already forgot what it is that you're, <laughs> Anyway, Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity liqueur. <laughs> a dirty martinis. I see. Um, uh, I think it was Bree Bree five seventeen. I've never. Oh, that's a good drink right there. That's a martini. I thought martinis are delicious. What are you talking about? You clown a martini? Isn't that like a? No, no. I clown things that aren't martinis, and then people call them teeny. What's a dirty martini? Dirty martini is a martini with a little olive juice in it. Oh, no, I'm never going to try that. I don't like olives. Olives are the... Okay. You should probably leave a martini alone then. I don't mess with martinis. I don't. Okay. All right. So the Michelle Mission is uh, check it out. Find us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Go to all the social medias. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube to the Michelle Mission. Email us all your thoughts and cares at michellemission at gmail.com. Go to Michelle Mission. 
Uh.com, our website, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made, and hit swag and check out all the cool designs we have coming your way by way of our good friends at T Public. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate curated podcast for your earbuds. Go to thepodglomerate.com. All right. And he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. We'll see you Friday. Yes. <laughs>